Welcome to this episode of Horrific History and Hauntings. I'm Beth. And I'm Ramey. We're your hosts, here to talk about the stories that the history books ignore. From horrific epidemics and ghostly hauntings to the catastrophes and tragic events that have sickened humanity. Beth, what happened to this day in history? October 27th, 2023 is the date that we are recording. And on that date today, two Quakers were executed in 1656. William Robinson and Marmaduke Stevenson came from England in 1656 to escape religious persecution. Did you just say Marmaduke? M-A-R-M-A-D-U-K-E. Oh my goodness, I thought that was just a... What? It's the name of a dog. Is it? Yeah. Oh. In a movie. They were executed anyway in Massachusetts Bay Colony. <laughs> Don't matter if they had the same because... name as a dog. <laughs> They violated a law that was passed by Massachusetts General Court that banned Quakers from the colony, and the penalty for this was death. Harsh. Yeah. The Quakers opposed central church authority. They supported sexual equality, and they had a strong voice against slavery in early America, so that might have Yeah, that had to, that's what exactly what it off. done. Yeah. That's terrible. Yeah. Anyway, William Robinson and Marmaduke Stevenson were hung from an elm tree on Boston Common in Boston, of course. They were the first Quakers to be executed in America. That is a pity. Yeah. And then I'm not going to go into these into detail, but I'm just going to name them off. A couple other interesting historical events that happened today in history. In 1858, Theodore Roosevelt was born. Okay. In 1994, prison population became over one million. Oh, great. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. And that's... All I have for today's in history. I feel bad for the Quakers. Okay, what else are we talking about then? We're going to have probably like a mini series. And um, the first one we're going to do today, it's legends and hauntings from each state. We're covering 50 states. We're covering, not today. Uh, okay, and, I was going to say, how, oh. how long am I going to be sitting here? No, no, we're not covering all 50. That's why I said it's probably going to be like a little mini series we're going to have to do in multiple parts like we do the alphabet of deaths. Yeah. We are going through the states alphabetically. Okay, what ones are we doing today? Alabama through Illinois. Uh, yeah, Alabama is up first. Uh-huh, we just said that. No, we didn't. You did say Alabama. I said we were going to go through Alabama to the... To, Illinois. What kind of lunatic would say, we're going to go through Alabama and Illinois. Let's start with, I don't know, (laughs) Kentucky. Whatever. Anyway, they have Hills Gates Bridge, which I think I may have. Well, yes, we covered this. Just go to previous episode. (laughs) No, no, no. Because I think I have, uh, I think there's a few different Hills Gates Bridge. And I don't remember which one I did for that one. In the 1950s, a young couple driving over the bridge one night drove right off the bridge and they drowned. As one does. Yeah. If you drive your car to the middle of the bridge now and turn off your lights, the couple will appear in the car and leave a wet spot on the seat, which I find to be rude. Yes. Who piddled in here? (laughs) Um, Cindy, the car is leaking. (laughs) (laughs) Another legend, another legend around the bridge is that if you drive over the bridge and look behind you halfway through, the scenery behind you turns into a portal to hell. That's creepier. I'd rather have somebody piddle in my seat. Yeah. Well, yeah. The bridge is now closed to vehicles, and it's in such a state of disrepair that it is discouraged to even walk across it now. I won't be doing that then. No no portals to hell, I guess. (laughs) You might find one as soon as you fall through it. (laughs) Moving on to Alaska. Did you know there's an Alaskan triangle, kind of like the Bermuda Triangle? I heard of it, but I didn't do much research. Well, we're not going to go completely into the triangle, but it's apparently in that area. There's this thing called the Kushtaka, uh, I believe uh, is how that's pronounced, about 
five of every 1,000 people go missing in Alaska, and I'm sorry for when I've mispronounced this too, the Tlingit, Tlingit, T-L-I-N-G-I-T. I'm not laughing at the name. I'm laughing at her trying to pronounce it. I'm not even going to try because I don't want to have to laugh Maybe at myself. Maybe the T in the front is silent, and it's like Lingit or Lingit tribe. They live in Janu, J-U-N-E-A-U, Janua. No, why would there be Jinwa? Jinwa. That ain't right. I don't know. Jinwa. But that's is that how it's pl- spelled if anybody knows how to pronounce it. Jinwa is that place that Perpizia was from. Senor Perpizia from Jinwa, oh. the lard dealer. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, he, they're not from there. Oh, no, that's not where that would be. <laughs> they have their own explanation for the high number of missing people. What is that? Evil shape shifting spirits called Kushtaka. They're half man and half otter. They can be half of any type of otter, any species of otter, I guess you would say. Uh-huh. I imagine that would be scary, but still funny at the same time. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the legend tells of it luring women and children to the water with deceptive cries in order to drown them and steal their human spirits. Another legend says that they are friendly and helpful by saving the lost from freezing to death. Well, that's nice, I guess. They can be warded off with copper dogs, urine, and fire. <laughs> That's why you go around peeing on everything to keep that from happening. <laughs> they are said to have a high-pitched three-part whistle in the pattern of low-high-low. And the stories of Kushtaka saving lost individuals from distracting them with otter-like illusions of their loved ones. I can't imagine you as an otter. No, I don't want to be an otter. Oh, why not? What's wrong with otters? They're cute. Uh, it's a name in the gay community. Is it? Yeah, for a slightly chubby, hairy man. <laughs> okay, I did not know that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, bears, which are really heavy, hairy men. Well, already. That's just what they are, otters. That's this- why you said um, otter man. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, I had no idea that was a thing. Um, yeah. Okay. The legend is thought to have come from the T-L-I-N-G-I-T mothers. I don't know how to pronounce <laughs> it. I, I don't even know how to start. Yeah, we apologize. Uh, feel free to email her in the link tree link. There's an email in the description of this episode. Feel free to email her the pronunciation. The mothers to stop their children from wandering close to the ocean. In Arizona, there is Slaughterhouse Canyon or Luana's Canyon. I like that name. Yeah. During the late 1800s, a family lived in the canyon. They were extremely poor, and the father would go out into the canyon to find food for his family. One day, he did not return. And starvation drove the family to madness. And the mother did the most logical thing she could think of, and she put on her wedding dress and murdered her children. Oh, I thought this was in Mexico or South America somewhere. No, La it's La in La Arizona. It was Laura Larona or something like that? Is that what it is? It did mention that. Uh, there's, I want to say, different legends in different areas that are similar to this. So okay. that might be why. She couldn't bear to hear her children crying anymore. So that's why she did that. She threw them into the nearby river and died the next day due to starvation. The legend says if you go down to the Slaughterhouse Canyon at night, you will hear the loud cries of the mother who lost her mind. Not the children who got starved and drowned. Uh, I say they're probably crying as well. The Boggy Creek Monster lives in Arkansas. That sounds a lot cooler. Yeah. It's Arkansas's version of the Sasquatch, pretty much. And it's near the small town of Falk, F-A-U-K-E. Yeah, I'd say that. It's described as being seven to eight feet tall, and it's covered in hair, and it's said to roam around the creeks of rural Arkansas. Mm -hmm. 1834 is when it was first spotted. People reported seeing a wild man. 
1971, a family reported that they were attacked in the rural home, which sent one of them to the hospital due to the injuries. The story was written in the Texarkana Gazette newspaper, bringing attention to it. This one I found actually really interesting. In California, it's called the Charman. Durr. In 1948, the legend says a father and son were both horribly burned in a fire and that the son became mentally unstable and killed his father after the fire. It was a cooking accident. Daddy let the popcorn stay on too long. The police didn't realize he was alive when they found the son due to him being so badly burnt, and he managed to run away before they could arrest him. And ever since that supposedly happened, the Charman has been spotted wandering the woods. He'll approach campers' tents and pretend to be a hitchhiker and then attempt to attack the people. Pretend? Yeah. It's said that if you stop your car on a bridge on Creek Road, get out and yell, help me, help me, help me, the Charman will come out of the forest and attack you. He really hates those words. Yes. He probably screamed them a lot when his daddy burnt the popcorn and dropped it on him. Yeah. There's also another version of the story that says a husband and a wife were caught in a fire, and the husband was horribly burned and continues to hear his wife caught in the flames screaming for help. He was unable to move to help her due to the injuries and had to listen to her screams. Couldn't do anything about it. In this version, the husband becomes Charman, uh-huh. and the Ventura County Historical Museum claims that there were no victims in the fire in 1948, though. So that one kind of falls through. It's just a fun story. Just a fun story. That's fine. You can have those. Another version says that the Charman was a firefighter who died while fighting the fire. In the early 50s, there was a bad car fire. In some versions, the car accident took place on the Charman Bridge. In some, it doesn't. The driver was horribly burned beyond recognition, and he escaped into the woods and became Charman. Sure. Yep. (laughs) Some police officers have another origin that's from the 60s, where an elderly man who had a bad case of skin cancer... Mm. His face and arms were horribly deformed, and he would take his dogs for walks in the evening or late night because he didn't like to be seen and scare people. Occasionally, the local kids would see him, and obviously they were frightened of him and called him Charman, which I find to be rude. It is rude, but it's the 60s. Yeah, maybe your parents should teach you that's not okay. They probably thought they were making it up. (laughs) That's a possibility, I guess. Of all these, this is the most reasonable one yeah those kids are mean yeah next we're going on to colorado ah good and riverdale road many call riverdale road the gates of hell oh like at bridge (laughs) except for it's not a bridge it's a road you can have both there's a story of a madman who murdered his wife and kids by setting their mansion on fire oh the char man (laughs) this may be why it's called the gates of hell the mansion was located behind a gate that can still be seen today okay there's said to be a lady in white That will show up in rearview mirrors walking down the road by the gates. It's assumed this is the spirit of his wife searching for her children or her husband who murdered them. The ghostly Camaro driver is another one. It says he uses his Camaro to get people to race to their deaths. I figured this is a good story to try to keep the local teens from drag racing. Yeah, it's a good one. And uh, when did it start the story start? Uh, Uh, That one doesn't say when that one started. Okay. But I'm guessing after Camaros were made. Surely, yes. (laughs) I learned from Top Gear that Camaros are the favorite car of the murderer. Really? That's what Jeremy Clarkson says. It must be true. Oh. (laughs) There's also said to be cult members that have cult meetings at chicken coops of all places on this road. Ah, you know, I have chicken coops. Yeah. I could call them the gates of hell and just invite some friends over and play D&D and some people would call (laughs) that a cult meeting. Yeah. 
chicken coops stink. They do. I feel like there's other areas you could do this. But the reason they think that these cult meetings happen is because these old chicken coops and random abandoned buildings have graffiti that suggests that, I guess. Sometimes they also have headless animals on them. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah, that, that one I don't like. There's also said to be a ghostly jogger. Why? I don't know why you would want to jog after death, but unless that's just his curse or her. I don't know if it was a he or a her. I don't know if it even said. They were involved in a hit and run uh-huh. on Riverdale Road. And it says he, so I'm guessing it was he. He should have worked harder and bought a car. <laughs> I guess he didn't make any money. Yeah. With his jogging. No Olympics. The Camaro is the one that hit him. <laughs> that would have made sense if somebody would have put those two stories together. Yeah. Jeremy Clarkson, when he was talking about the one he bought when he came to America, he said it's only had three previous murderers. <laughs> <laughs> well, this jogger is now said to haunt the road. Fair enough. People on foot say they hear footsteps or someone hitting their car if they're in a car. That's creepy. Yeah. On some nights with a full moon, it says you can see bodies of the spirits of former slaves hanging from trees as well. Why does that come up? That apparently was a spot where things like that went down. Okay. Yeah. There's also said to be a young boy who was hit by a car. Why are you, can you people not drive? No, people can't drive. (laughs) Why are you hitting everybody? I'm always terrified I'll get hit by a car. Same. Yeah. This young boy was on his way to school when he got hit on Riverdale Road by a car. And he's said to smear his bloody handprints on the street signs as he walks by them. But that the bloody handprints are gone by morning. Well, that's not a terrible problem then. No. It's a great cleanup crew you got there. They get it done by morning. There's also said to be Native American shape-shifting spirits. They're said to be seen hitchhiking and getting into people's cars. And once they're in the car, they take control of it and it causes crashes. That would not make me happy. In Connecticut, we're going to talk about Hannah Crana. <laughs> I like it. She's also known as the Wicked Witch of Monroe. And don't roll off the tongue as well. No. Nah. She was born in 1783 and married Captain Joseph Hovey. They had no kids. In the 19th century, her husband died by falling off a cliff mysteriously, leaving her in poverty. The locals believed that she had bewitched him and that she could cast spells on people that she didn't like. When was this? In the 1783 was when she was born. In the 19th century is when her husband fell over a cliff. It's less likely you'd be tried as a witch. Yeah. After her husband's death, she continued to live with her chickens. Oh. And never married again. One day, one of her favorite roosters died, and people thought this was her familiar, because they thought she was a witch, and she had a favorite chicken. <laughs> a rooster. I have a favorite hen. Her name is Henrietta. Yeah. You really do. If if you have chickens, you do have your favorite chicken. She walks up to me all the time. The other ones fly is. about and make a mess, and she just waddles up to get her food. <laughs> After her rooster died, she was said to tell neighbors that she was going to die soon as well. She lived to be 77 years old. Oh. Right before her death, she asked to be carried down to the cemetery in her coffin by foot, not by wagon. But people tried to wheel her coffin down the hill with a wagon, and they were not able to do so because the coffin kept falling off, so they were forced to carry it. Probably seen the same thing happen with her husband, so... Yeah. She just says, this ain't gonna work, but if you want to try... When the townspeople returned to Hannah's home, it was on fire. Those dirty hens. Yeah. She's buried in Gregory's Four Corners Burial Ground on Spring Hill Road in Trumbull, Connecticut. According to the legend, a figure sometimes appears in the graveyard and causes passing cars to crash. There's someone in the graveyard. 
It is just a mourner, just somebody visiting a deceased loved one. Yeah. Oh. In Delaware, there's a ghost called Mr. Chew. Mm-hmm. Did he like tobacco? Uh, I don't know. Oh, well, I think of chewing This tobacco. one's very short. Okay. In 1741, Samuel Chew. Chew. Chew was the chief justice of the Delaware Supreme Court. People would make fun of his name, and they would, now. <laughs> they would sneeze when they were around him or make sneezing sounds. Oh, I didn't make fun of that. After he died, people reported seeing his ghost sitting under a polar tree. I don't know what that Whatever. is. Whatever, yeah. But, and that he wanders around the courthouse, and that he will pull on men's coats. Apparently, people started being afraid to go outside at night and wouldn't allow their children out. Because of Mr. Chu, they were afraid, even though he seemed kind of harmless. Yeah. So they decided to have a funeral with an empty casket. They buried the empty casket where his ghost was most seen, and it seemed to work. Okay. Aside from sometimes people who decide to make fun of his name, he said to come back and haunt them. Just stop making fun of his name. In Orlando, Florida, there was a hospital called Sunland Hospital. I've heard of this. Yeah. There Actually, is a few, and there's another one in Tallahassee. A lot of Florida. Yeah, it was a whole chain of them. Hospital chain. Yeah. It was a exactly that, a chain of tuberculosis hospitals throughout Florida, obviously to isolate and care for people with tuberculosis. It was opened in the 1950s by the Florida government, and in the 1960s, tuberculosis was less of a public health issue, so it was no longer needed for that. They converted it into a mental institution. Well, converted all of them. It was known for its maltreatment of patients and (laughs) horrific conditions. Didn't have no Yelp reviews back then. (laughs) The one in Orlando specifically. Uh, Apparently Tallahassee wasn't that great either. But the others, it didn't mention them having this problem. Eventually, this led to straight up torture as well. Oh, House on Haunted Hill kind of situation. Rodents and pests were said to bite both patients and staff. It was also covered in roaches. Over 100 patients were kept in a single ward, and the place was not sanitized, including the surgical equipment. That certainly gets rid of the overcrowding problem. Yeah, yeah, that'll do it. That'll fix it right up. Patients were bathed on concrete slabs, and some of the former patients said that they heard, as their bodies were being turned over, this loud thunk noise where they did it so hard. Oh, no. So that their backs could be bathed yeah. on these concrete slabs. <laughs> I went full like a dead fish on the table. <laughs> and the excuse that they used for such poor treatment was the lack of funds. They were understaffed, and the ones that did work there were not paid adequately. But still, when you're in that kind of profession, it doesn't matter if you're getting paid adequately. You're supposed to be caring for people, mm-hmm. not mean, abusing them. They needed if, more people. Uh, when it comes to, I don't tip because they should pay their servers livable wages. Yeah, you're right, but they're not going to just because you don't tip. That's completely different. When it comes to this, if you don't like what you're getting paid, you need to quit, not abuse the patients. It's not the patient's fault. Yeah. Some of the problems that the patients faced due to the poor treatment and sanitation was urinary tract infections, nutritional deficiencies, respiratory infections, and skin diseases. And that's just a portion. Welcome to Florida. In the 1980s, the hospital's conditions and abuse became public knowledge, and the hospital was closed. That's fitting. Yeah. Visitors have said that they've heard screams and moans and saw shadows. Most of these looked like children. In 1997, a man exploring the abandoned hospital with his friends fell down an elevator shaft and died. 
That seems to happen in a few. I feel like I've said that before. I've also seen it happen in modern everyday places. Like that woman, I think it was in India. She was in an elevator and just walked out the door when it opened and died because it was it led into another elevator shaft. Oh, that's yeah. not good. One of the deputies that was going to help this man that fell down the elevator shaft, he was the one on call. He said that he saw a little boy looking out one of the windows of the building as he was pulling in. And when he searched to find this boy, he found nothing. It's a huge place. Yeah. I think. I don't know. It could be the size of a shack. <laughs> no, it, it in the picture, it looked like a normal hospital. Oh, uh, okay. Just abandoned. Because of this incident, Pine Hill Community decided to have the hospital demolished for safety reasons. Yeah. I'd say it's full of asbestos and everything, too. Yeah. In 1999, the main building was demolished. And now only the administration building is left standing. The former area where Sunland Hospital was located turned into a children's playground. So they can get all the asbestos. Yep. I'm just saying that. It sounds like the kind of place that'd be covered in it, though. The children of the hospital are said to haunt the playground during night. The swings move, and they say that apparitions of kids are seen there. No, nothing creepier than a dead child's ghost. And as I mentioned earlier, there was a Sunland Hospital in... Tallahassee. It had the same poor sanitation conditions and treatment. This one came with another problem that the money the patient's families would leave for their loved ones was being misplaced. And I put misplaced in quotations because we know it was not being misplaced. Yeah, that was going to somebody's pockets. Who? Yeah, the staff knew exactly where it was going. The staff bingo night. Everybody puts this spare money in the bowl and see who wins. Yep. It's probably actually going into one person's pocket. The guy in charge. Or the person at the desk where you do the paperwork they for it. And that's why I was freebie. Why aren't we getting any donations? <laughs> in Georgia, there is a hotel called Ellis Hotel. It's also called Georgia's Titanic. I take it it's sinking. No. Well, then how is it a Titanic? Well, if you'll bear with me, I'll tell you. The unsinkable hotel. No, it's not exactly sinking is the thing. It's located on Peachtree Street in Atlanta. It opened in 1913, but at the time it was called Weinkauf Hotel. It's 15 stories. It was advertised as fireproof. How much asbestos was in this? I don't know. Because that's what it was used for, fireproofing things. Apparently the outside part of the building was fireproof. However, the inside was very combustible. How many times have we had to refill this frame back up? It's like playing Sims. Yeah. Especially when your sim is afraid of fire. They cause fires all the time when they try to cook. They just run out of the house and let the house burn. No, I got sprinklers and I hide it behind my fridge. Oh, good. In December 7th, 1946, is when the fire broke out. It was said to be the deadliest hotel fire in the United States history. Probably the reason we have a lot of the laws we do now. It actually said that when I was reading the article. There's two theories as to how it started. One is a carelessly lit cigarette that caught a bed on fire. And the other is that it was arson. It was said to have started on the third floor and it began to rapidly spread while the hotel was completely booked. And I'm sure they had adequate exits and uh, obvious signing to get people out. The fire spread through the single escape stairwell. Uh, whoopsie. Everyone above was trapped. Terrible. Yes. There was a survivor statement. His name was Richard. He couldn't see his hand in front of his face because of how thick the smoke was. Him and his father spent almost four hours trying to fill the bathtub with water and breathing into towels to stay alive. Only three people, including Richard and his father, were able to escape the 15th floor. So there was one other person who made it out. Uh, a woman from Mississippi, if I'm not mistaken, was what it said. What was she done? 
Oh. Probably Poppins did and just used her little dainty umbrella to hover down. Oh. She's from Louisiana? Mississippi. Mississippi. Okay. She could have had a Southern Belle. She could have just <laughs> had that big, fluffy, very colorful dress and just parachuted her way down. Oh. First responders, there were 400 firefighters showed up. 22 engine companies, and 11 ladder trucks. And nobody got to the third floor. Four of these trucks were aerial. I didn't know what that meant. I I don't know. Ask Joey. The ladders only reached part of the way up the building. Those that were above that were still trapped and unable to be rescued. At least it did lead to newer regulation. Yeah. Which is a terrible consolation prize, but still. Yeah. The panicking guest began attempting to escape by making rope with bedsheets and also just simply jumping out the windows without the bed sheets. Uh, sure, it led to a bunch of broken bones, but I'm sure so they fared better than the fire. One uh, woman it, that did this, they had a picture of her, bless her heart, she was in her underwear, uh, hanging from what she had made bed sheets out of a rope. Huh. And she survived the fall. Good. Yeah. Some tried to jump over to the mortgage guarantee building. <laughs> on the other side of the alley from Miller Street. But this caused the alley to become dangerous because of so many bodies falling from above. Oh, dear. I wonder how many feet it was between them. I guess it depended on what level you were on. I don't know. It sounds like everybody was hitting to the roof. When the sun came up and the fire was out, 119 people were found dead in the still smoky shell of the building. And you know, the people who owned the hotel, if they survived and weren't in the hotel, were just worried about rebuilding. At the time, they weren't encouraged to worry about people. People. Well, they still had their shell. The shell was fireproof. Yeah. About one third of these that were found dead were from people jumping to their deaths in an attempt to escape. The hotel was rebuilt and called Ellis Hotel, but the spirits of those that were lost in the fire are said to haunt the new hotel. Staff and visitors have reported elevators operating by themselves, and while renovating one time, workers reported that their tools were being moved or just disappearing. That's annoying. Yeah. It's also said that people hear footsteps and voices coming from rooms with nobody in them, and that they hear screams and people running in empty corridors. Some wake up to the smell of smoke in their rooms as well. That would be alarming. Yes. There's calls that come to the hotel scoreboard from empty rooms, and the smoke alarms will mysteriously go off at 2.45 in the morning, which was about the time that the fire started. I'd be thankful they went off at all. Yeah. From outside the hotel, people say that they can sometimes see faces in the the windows that look as if they're screaming in agony. It's just become a meme now. And I think we've all learned a lesson. That we should have learned a long time ago. Don't say something is fireproof or unsinkable or anything like that. If anything, say resistant. Yeah, that's what they say about bone. Water resistant. But like I said, the outside of the building was left standing. It was fine, but the inside was completely burned. Well, I don't think I'll ever be there anyway, so. Yeah. In Hawaii, there's night marchers. They're spirits of ancient Hawaiian warriors. They were responsible for protecting Hawaiian chiefs and said to march on the islands during the night. I mean, I wouldn't mind seeing that. Sounds cool. Yeah, but the thing is, I'll get into it. Hold on. The first sighting of the night marchers was in 1883. The myth goes that if someone sees the night marchers, they have to lie face down on the ground and pretend to be dead. So I think you wouldn't mind seeing them. Yeah, I'm not getting on the ground. It's described by the Culture Trip website as a group of spirits that sometimes travel with ancient Hawaiian gods or goddesses. Yeah, if there's a god in the mix, maybe. (laughs) That sounds at least more reasonable to do that. Yeah. Also, I'm going to quote it. March down the mountainside after sunset, and the procession is often accompanied by the sounds of drumming and chants. The Honolulu Magazine website said that these warriors traveled at night to protect sacred people that the common people were not allowed to look at. Those gods. Yeah. 
and looking at them meant death. Okay. So you're a commoner. You look. Get a. This sounds very Japanese. The emperor yeah. kind of situation. Yeah. And I'm going to say a quote them from the Brigham Young University website. Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> what now? According to the Brigham Young University website, and I'm going to quote this, on nights of the full moon, numerous credible sightings of bands of tall and muscular warriors, bronzed and beautiful to behold, are reported. The warriors are described as marching with a god as their leader, accompanied by a band of torchbearers leading the way. Is this a pride parade? <laughs> I don't think that's what it's supposed to be. Pride parades don't require you to lay on the ground and pretend to be dead. No, they don't. No? As much as some people would like to believe that, they do. They don't. It sounds very cool to see or pretend to see. If you could see. see. Yeah. The Honolulu Magazine also explained that the night marchers showed mercy by traveling at night, meaning there would hopefully be less people that could possibly accidentally see it. See. It's very nice of them. Yeah. They weren't really there to try to cause harm, is the thing. Yeah. They were only trying to do their job. And it has marched this man through the town. Yeah. And if anybody <laughs> looked at him, kill him. Yeah. Well, that's a very specific and very unusual job. But yes. There we go. And as I said, the commoners were expected to never make eye contact and simply just stare at the ground when a shell was blown to notify them of a sacred person's arrival to the village. I heard somebody take this. I didn't know this was what it was based on. But it was a D&D game on YouTube somebody was running. And a fairy king, about once a year, would be paraded through town by his, uh, well, his captors. His court had captured him because he was so mm-hmm. unpredictable. And they would do this ritual once every year. And everybody in town knew to go inside and pay no mind to it and don't look at it. But the party had been kicked out of the tavern because they were erecting up. And it, at the same time, this is going on. So they were out there banging on the door. Let us in. Let us in. They Almost all of them died. Every one of them. They got drugged to his realm when he seen them, and they ate his food, which you should never do to a fairy king. It was just them. One of them married him by not her choice, kind of. It was more like, you ate the food, you're mine now. Oh. It's a... Well. It was a good story, and it makes me think of this right here, which means it's probably based on this right here. It sounds like those horrible dates where the guy expects the girl to put out because he bought her dinner. Yeah. (laughs) I can't afford fancy dinners, so I would never expect that. (laughs) (laughs) You shouldn't expect it, even if it is expensive. (laughs) It's thought that the night marchers believe their responsibility to protect these sacred chiefs continued even after death. Obviously. And these, like, chiefs were considered to be physical representations of the gods, and that's another reason this was a whole big deal. Yeah. It's a monarchy thing. Yeah. Idaho. You what now? The state. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) The Water Babies of Massacre Rocks is what, what we're talking about. <laughs> oh, it sounds so bad now that I actually said it out loud. Oh, no. <laughs> it is actually bad, but I didn't expect it to. Water Babies of Massacre Rocks. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds like one tragedy right after another. <laughs> I guess that's what we're named after, so have at it. It's a Native American legend, and it's mostly known in... I'm sorry if I mispronounced this. Pocatello or Pochatello at Massacre Rock State Park. It's found in a couple of areas, though, just with different versions. But I'm only going into this one because that's the state we're talking about. The Shoshone tribe was first recorded in 1805. They were thought to roam the Great Plains as early as the 1500s, though. And the legend goes that 
they endured a severe famine in their history. Because of this famine, they got together and decided that they couldn't afford any new mouths to feed. For this reason, they decided that new babies, their mothers would have to go to the river and drown their babies. Oh, no. It was also so that the mothers wouldn't have to watch their children starve. <laughs> no, they suffer. just drowned them instead. Yeah. Why couldn't they let the strong warrior daddies do that? Or make a village executioner. The kings did it. Why mm. can't they? I don't know. There's probably a better way than having a mother drown their baby. Yeah, I wouldn't be drowning my baby. I don't care how much famine's going on. You say, what up to my baby? How about feeding you? Whoever came up with that idea, how, but how about I do that? Exactly that. I knock you upside the head, I cook you, and I feed you to my baby. I don't know. We didn't, we've never had to suffer famine, so it might be something that people just, there's a lot of different things people do. Yeah, you're hungry. You're probably losing your mind. <laughs> Drowning the baby seems like the right idea. But it's said that while sitting in silence by the river at Massacre Rocks, some hear the sound of crying babies. Some versions suggest that the infants survived and developed gills and fins and that they allegedly lure unsuspecting victims to their death in the river. Rightly so. And this is a way of seeking revenge on their mothers, obviously. Because yeah. it's always the mother's fault. Mm-hmm. Just imagine you're sitting here, <laughs> sitting around on your rock, I guess, and uh, all you hear is, Well, I guess it's time to go. I got my fresh air and exercise for the day. They said crying babies. I'm like, well, they're underwater. There ain't no crying. Now we're moving on to a devil baby in Illinois. The whole house baby is what it's called. Not hell, hole. In 1856, a wealthy land and real estate developer, Charles J. Hull, built the whole house to use for a summer home. There's actually only two notable deaths that actually took place there. In 1860, Millicent Hull? Millicent? I don't know. It was Charles' wife. She died in the bedroom of an unspecified illness. The second one is Irene Donner. She was shot by her ex-fiancé outside of the settlement. One of the ghostly tales involves the sounds of ghost children running in the upstairs corridor and the courtyard. They're known as the Fountain Girls. The courtyard is also said to be a portal to hell. There's a concrete slab in the shape of a circle in it, which used to be the location of a fountain. That's what they think. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) That's supposed to be the portal to hell. People have also reported seeing monks around the mansion. There's also a lady in white. Oh, yet another one to add to the dozen we have. It's thought to be Charles's wife, though she's said to be harmless. I feel like most ladies in white are. I mean, yeah, they just hop in your car or or was she gray? I don't remember. (laughs) No, that one, she was white. She was in a white dress. Just depends on how foggy it is. Yeah. Jane Addams and Ellen Gates Starr began to rent at the whole house. They were not the only ones, though. There were other tenants that told them that Charles's wife haunted her former bedroom, and this happened to be Jane Addams's bedroom at the time. Jane wrote about the attic being haunted as well. Oh. And I'm going to quote this. It had a half-skeptical reputation for a haunted attic so far respected by the tenants living on the second floor that they always kept a large pitcher full of water on the attic stairs. Their explanation of this custom was so incoherent that I was sure it was a survival of the belief that a ghost could not cross running water. But perhaps that interpretation was only by eagerness for finding folklore. And the Devil Baby, which is the most well-known ghost in this house, which another writing from Jane Adams, which also I got this information from the Whole House Museum website. It's wholehousemuseum.org. Mm-hmm. And the reason I'm going to go ahead and put that in there is because I'm going to quote 
a lot of it. There's just no way that if I tried to put it into my own words that I would have been able to get it right. Another quote. The knowledge of the existence of the devil baby burst upon the residents of Hull House one day when three Italian women with an excited rush through the door, demanding that he be shown to them. No amount of denial convinced them that he was not there, for they knew exactly what he was like. With his cloven hooves, his pointed ears, and diminutive, 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 diminutive tail. Moreover, the devil baby had been able to speak as soon as he was born and was most shockingly profane okay (laughs) the baby's cussing you as soon as it comes out instead of crying yeah you stupid bitch put me back (laughs) it's cold out here there's an italian version with a hundred variations dealt with a p-i-o-u-s an italian girl married to an atheist her husband tore a holy picture from the bedroom wall and said he would quite as soon have a devil in the house as that this is where the devil in- reincarnated himself in her coming child he did ask for it so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. as soon as the devil baby was born he ran about the table shaking his finger in deep reproach at his father um. <laughs> <laughs> who finally caught him and in fear of trembling brought him to Hull House. Wow. <laughs> probably more entertaining stories we've heard. That's probably terrifying, but I find it to be funny. When the residents there, in spite of the baby's shocking appearance, wishing to save his soul, took him to church for patient? I don't know. That's why I quoted this. I, I wasn't sure. It's hard for me to understand. They found the shawl that was empty and the devil baby felling from the holy water. Falling, maybe? What that meant? Ran lightly over the backs of the pews. The Jewish version. What? There's more? Yes, there's a Jewish version. Oh, wow. Was to affect the father of six daughters. Had said before the birth of the seventh child that he would rather have a devil in the house than another girl. Oh, no. And that's when the devil baby appeared. Fair enough. Mm. As I said, Jane Adams wrote it, and it says The Devil Baby at Hull House, 1916. So I don't know if that's a book or what. The baby was brought to Hull House and kept hidden in the attic away from public view because, you know, it had hooves and spiky ears and apparently could speak profanity as soon as it was born. For six weeks, people harassed the Hull House residents night and day with demands to see the devil baby. Why not? Yep. It's said that crowds gathered in the streets and would even offer money to see it. Well, I wouldn't. Simple as that. I don't want to see that baby. No. According to Jane Addams, the devil baby story empowered women by providing a way to express themselves and be heard. It's not a terrible story either. That one part, I don't know if I would like reading her books because that one part, if it's books, they are. I don't even know if they're books or if they're just random writings. But either way, that one part I did not understand at all, aside from the funny part about him shaking his hands. Yeah, his fingers. fingers. Yeah. Shaking his hands. Spirit (laughs) fingers. (laughs) But that's why I had to put it in quotes because would you have been able to put that into your own words? No, probably not. And that's the end of part one. (laughs) Indiana will be coming up in part two whenever I recorded sorry folks this mini series isn't quite as mini as we thought it was going to be we will certainly amend that the next time if you like what you heard here there's plenty more look at our back episodes uh there's a link tree link in the description it takes you to all of our socials if you want to send in some ideas of things we should cover uh my sister will get the emails any of the social links you get a hold of us through will come to me if you want to message them but I'll send them to her if you want to talk to her. Uh, we have another podcast called, we have two other podcasts, one called Brother Knows Quest. It's a podcast where I'll tell my sister about tabletop role-playing games, and she tells me how she'd like to play them or not. 
Uh, another one's called Leveling Duo. It's where my friend Dakota and I talk about video games we really enjoy or looking forward to coming out soon. The first link in the link tree will be our website. That will take you to all those. Also, you can donate there if you really, really wanted to. It would be appreciated. We're on YouTube. We'll stream on Twitch every few days now. Uh, the link will be in the same spot as the rest of them. Just kind of, if you want to see our schedule, it'll be there. Well, thank you for listening to HHH. I've been Ramey. And I'm Beth. Bye-bye.